I'd like to suggest that we probably have more in common with the people he's having lunch with in Luke 14. The Pharisees, the religious people. Because if we have been a Christian for any length of time, there is a tendency for us to move into this direction. And so this is a really powerful story for us to hear. Jesus has come to them. He's not just there for the sinners. He's not just there for the tax collectors and the prostitutes. He's come for the religious people as well. He is the right person at the right moment. Now, if you know me, and many of you do, you know that I kind of like getting away from things. Uh, The ideal holiday for me is as far away from civilization as I possibly can. And uh, once I was up in the Kimberley. So if you've ever driven, has anyone driven the Gibb River Road? Yeah, you've been up there? Okay, the Gibb River Road is about 600 kilometres of some, it's getting tamer, but some fairly mean dirt. Uh, This is uh, crossing the Pentecost River and you see the Coburn Range in the background there. This is not far away from uh, Kununurra. And uh, we were driving actually along this stretch of road and uh, I got up to a point where we'd stopped. We pulled the car over and I looked around the, walked around the back of the car. It's something you do when you're travelling in the dirt. You, uh, you do a routine inspection often to find what's gone wrong because it does often go wrong. Uh, and the D-shackles from my trailer, uh, the chains that bolt the trailer to the car, so if your hitch fails, you don't lose the trailer, uh, the D-shackles had rattled loose. And the chains had flicked around and they'd grabbed hold of the electricals and pulled them out. And then I dragged those electricals along the road for who knows how long. And I'm there and I'm looking at these shredded plugs and cables and all my solar panels are on the trailer. And there was a fridge in the trailer and there's no lights and there's no electric brakes. And I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Because I'm actually not very good at that kind of stuff. And uh, this guy pulls up and he walks up to me and he looks at me and obviously sees a sort of mild state of panic. And he says, oh, do you need a hand? And I said, oh, do you know anything about this stuff? He says, oh, I'm an auto electrician. <laughs> it gets worse. He's there looking at it, he's going, oh, you've blown a fuse here. Uh, you need a hundred amp fuse and like no one carries them because they're huge because they never blow. And uh, then I thought, oh, a mate of mine gave me some fuses, just a handful. I chucked them in the glove box. I walked to the glove box and there, lo and behold, by God's grace, is a hundred amp fuse. <laughs> it's just like God provided exactly the person at exactly the moment that I needed in a way that I could not have anticipated just to keep our holiday on the rails. God provides exactly the person that we need, the Lord Jesus. And he may well rattle our cage this morning. There at the lunch, there is a person in desperate need. So if you read in verse 2, you'll see that there is a man that the NIV describes as having abnormal swelling. Now, If you've got an older translation, this is translated as dropsy. No one knows what dropsy is, uh, but this is what dropsy looks like. It's otherwise known as edema. Uh, Medically speaking, it is not a happy place to be. 
Uh, this man most likely was starting to have major organ systems in his body failing. He is seriously unwell. But in the current climate of that day, not only did they see physical need, but when they saw a man with dropsy, because it was associated with an insatiable thirst, they associated not just with a physical problem, but with a spiritual problem. And it was associated as go with God's judgment upon people who have indulged sinfully. Uh, you read some of the commentaries and they'll also tell you that uh, it's God's punishment on you for not having regular bowel motions. Figure that one? I'm not quite sure. Uh, but here you have this man who was regarded not only as having a massive spiritual need, but a physical need as well. Why is he there? Luke just introduces us. In the original language, there's this word that means behold. It's like, oh, surprise, look, there's this guy here. Was he invited? Did he crash the party? Do we know? Did the Pharisees bring him in to try and make a trap for Jesus? Or was it just a coincidence that he was there? But the interesting thing is, is that Jesus would have had a reputation as a healer, as a teacher. And what does this man not do? He doesn't go and seek Jesus as the healer. It's interesting. But I'd like to suggest this morning that that man was not the person there with the greatest need. We see the other group, the hosts, the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And in verse 1, they're watching Jesus closely. Literally, they are lying in wait for him. They are seeking to entrap him. And this has been something that has been going on for a while. Verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 11. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they were furious. And they began to discuss with one another what they might do with Jesus. A little bit further along, Luke chapter 11. Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, but they began to oppose him fiercely and to besiege him with questions waiting to catch him in something he might, start, might say. These guys, their situation is pretty dire. Because you know what? The sin in their heart, the hardness of their heart, has turned hospitality, a great godly act, into an opportunity for entrapment. It's turned a man whose suffering was evident to all, whose need was screaming into an opportunity to trap Jesus. He becomes a tool who is useful in their game to try and get one up on Jesus. They become the oppressors, the religious people, the respectable people. They see the need and it's a tool. It's an opportunity for all their religious respectability. You'd imagine that the man should come to them and say, can you pray to God for me? Can you help me? But no, they use him and it reveals that they are in a worse state. 
They have a more desperate need and they don't see it. From a fairly famous movie, they are literally dead men walking. I want to ask you, could we be like this? As I spent time in this word this week, I was convicted. Could we be like this? Could we be blind to our need? We like Jesus, yes? Of course we do. But do we see that we need him each and every day? My mother used to use a phrase, but for the grace of God go I. You may know the phrase, it's something old people say. Now I just said it, so that makes me old, okay? But do we see that but for the grace of God each and every day go we? Do we think we've arrived Do we think we're together? Do we think we've achieved? Do we think that we are okay as they thought they were okay? Does God's grace make us complacent? Do we perhaps pay lip service to sin? We don't really think that we are sinners. Repentance does not play an active part in our lives. I wonder about You know, I've been thinking and working this through in my own life recently. And God has actually been showing that many of the things that I just think are weird habits or bad habits even are actually sinful at the bottom. That my worry, my manipulation, my playing little verbal games, because I like doing that kind of thing, is actually an act of sinful rebellion are many of the things that we think are actually okay. We don't see that we need God's grace, but we need God's grace for every single breath. What's our attitude to our hearts? What's our attitude to others? Do we grieve that without Christ, we have a world that is going under God's judgment? Does that touch us? Do we look at them as respectable religious people have done for a long time and we go, aren't we good because we're not like them? You remember Luke, I think it's Luke 18, Luke 19. There's that wonderful but yet horrible parable that Jesus tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector going up and praying. And do you remember the Pharisee's prayer? I thank you, God, that I am not like other men, that I am not like that tax collector. Do we do that? Do we look at others and not see their desperate need that we ourselves share? But we see the us and them and we build ourselves up. Do we perhaps even share the gospel so we can chalk up a bit more credit with God. Could we be like the Pharisees? I've been prompted to ask that question. And the tragedy of it is, is that more often than I like, I'm saying yes. Yes, I could be and I am. But Jesus doesn't end there. There is a story of glorious 
release. This man who doesn't come asking for healing gets it. Jesus comes up to him and the word literally take hold is to embrace him. Now, I want to ask you, why does Jesus do that? You go into Luke, uh, into John chapter 2 and the centurion comes to him about a sick son. He wants, he wants uh, Jesus to work that out. And what's Jesus say? Go, he's well. And the guy travels back. It takes him a day. Jesus doesn't need to touch the man to make him well. Why does he touch him? Why does he embrace him? It is that gesture of love, of acceptance, of compassion, totally unnecessary, but incredibly powerful. Jesus touches the untouchable. Do we see his heart? Do we see the wonderful blessing that he brings? And Luke just records in a simple phrase, he healed him and sent him on his way. This crippling, disfiguring, disabling, killing disease. Jesus healed him and sent him on his way, literally released him. The man was in bondage and he has found freedom. We have the same message. John chapter 6. The disciples, the larger crowds are deserting Jesus. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? Do you remember what Peter says? Finally, Peter actually gets it right. Where else have we to go? There's nowhere else we can go. You alone have the words of eternal life. If we are going to find release, if we are going to find healing, love, compassion, we find them in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. But could we be like those religious leaders? They bear the name of God, but they had nothing to offer. This man was nothing more than a tool to them. They had no concern for him. And even if they had something to offer, they had no desire to show it. Could we be like them? But he is healed and their predicament remains. Brings us to our last question. This crippling bondage. Jesus had asked these men, these religious experts, two questions. And he has got no answers. Does that surprise you? These are the guys who have the PhDs. These are the guys whose job it is to know. But they don't want to answer. And that last little verse in verse 6, it literally says they were not strong enough to answer Jesus. It's not that they couldn't. They were not strong enough. They knew that their answer just didn't stack up. There was not a leg to stand on. If they spoke, their hearts would be revealed. But in their silence, their hearts are revealed. They think they're okay. 
and they want to stay there. They think they can see. They think they are healthy. They have no need for a doctor. But they don't get their desperate need. They are men walking around with three and a half inch nails stuck in their frontal lobes and they don't even see it. They think it's a headache where it is a hardness of heart that leads them, leads them down this terrible road into crippling bondage. We see scorn for Jesus. They just want to trap him. We see this man with this desperate need treated as a tool. Could we be like them? What's our attitude to grace? Do we see that we need God each and every day? Do we see, but for the grace of God, go we? The gospel needs to transform us. And I say that as someone who has been a Christian for more than 35 years. I need God's grace to transform my heart. Could I ever be like them? Yes. Yes, I could. Does my heart ache at the fact that by modern contemporary stats, somewhere between 97 and 99% of Australians are under God's judgment? Even if it was 90 Oh, for 10%. Even if it was 90, would we be happy? For the doctors amongst us, if there was an epidemic that was going to wipe out 90% of the population, would we be okay with that? If you had the cure. If you had the cure. What's our attitude? What's our heart? I'd like to suggest as we turn to mission in this coming year, that the greatest opposition is not out there. The greatest barrier to the gospel going out is in here. It is in here. It's not the hard soil of the world. It's the hard hearts of God's people. Has God's grace transformed us and has it continued to do it if people walked in here would they see a community that is distinctly different if people knew you as a christian would they say there's something about her there's something about him there's something that is different and compellingly different i think If you look at my life all too often, you might say, well, being a Christian doesn't look that flash. Or perhaps on my worst days, why would I want to be like that? What would people say? Would they see amongst us a group of people that is radically different from the local rotary or the sailing club or whatever else, would they see something that said, I've got to check that out. Those people speak words 
I need to hear. They live lives that are radically different. Brothers and sisters, could we be like them? Could we be like them? As we go on in this, we need to actually ask ourselves, are we like this? Are we like this? What's the remedy? Because you know what? Like my little kids talk, that unless we are overflowing, evangelism becomes another work, another burden. But when you are overflowing, I want to just take you back. Remember a couple of years, there was a, an AFL team I think I used to hear a little bit about, not so much recently. Um, I think they were called the Adelaide Crows. Um, remember when they were minor premiers? I want you to stop the season at that point and forget about the last game of the year. That was irrelevant, really. It was who won the entire thing. The grand final, doesn't really matter. How did you feel if you were a Crows supporter once they were minor premiers? You were ecstatic. You were bold to wear the colours. You wanted to talk about the games. You had your heroes. We should be like that with Jesus and then son. Because Jesus didn't lose the grand final. Jesus was nailed down, but he rose again from the dead. We need to go back to the cross. We need to go back to Christ each and every day. We need to see that he is not just our ticket in the door. He is the one we need to walk with us each and every day. We need to recognise the extremity of, from which he has saved us. We need to see that we, without his grace, were lost. But you know what? Be encouraged because Christ, he doesn't get up from this meal. You, you, you could understand, couldn't you, if Jesus spat the dummy and left at this point. Uh, they're trying to trap him. Jesus stays there for most of chapter 14. He stays there the long course. He remains amongst them, but he confronts them. Brothers and sisters, I think Jesus confronts us. In his love, his compassion and grace. He says, don't be like them. Don't be like that. Don't let the hardness of your heart turn you into someone who is an opponent of mine and not one of my children, my brothers, my sisters. He continues amongst them in his grace. He continues to rattle their cage. The lunch continues, and so does our series. More next week. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, he really does rattle our cage. By your spirit, Luke recorded this, this passage in this way, provoking us to ask whether we perhaps could be like this man. Desperate in our need, looking to Jesus perhaps, or perhaps we are like the religious leaders, hard in our hearts, looking upon need as an opportunity to build ourselves up 
rather than an opportunity to offer grace and compassion and mercy. Father, convict us. Father, comfort us. And by your grace to us in Christ, soften our hearts and help us to overflow with the incredible love that you have for us in the Lord Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Lauren and we're going to keep praying, I think.